Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything that you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that's going to effortless unite your in-person and online sales into just one source of truth. You're going to be able to track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. You could connect with customers inline and online. And Shopify, it's going to help you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. So we're talking about TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or you can use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for battle tested solutions. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. I say do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash headspace. That's all lowercase. So you're going to go to shopify.com slash headspace to take your retail business to the next level today. I'm going to say it one more time. Shopify.com slash headspace. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. Everyone, dear Headspace Live, who's excited? Guys, I'm taking my phone out. I'm so important that I don't know. I might get a call and have to stop in the middle of the show. I hope nobody cares. Um, so it's our first Dear Headspace Live. We are so excited. We hope it is of many, many, many more of these. Like this show, it's it's not even a labor, it's just love. It has been such, it's been the best production that I've ever been a part of. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys and with you all. And what I want to ask you, you t- did you get scared? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your childhood. No, I want to ask you <laughs> what your favorite, favorite part about Dear Headspace has been. And I just, I do, it's important that I say this. It's okay if it's me, but, but if it's not, that's okay too. That's, it's, it's right. Just however you get into it is fine. I think my favorite part has been just connecting directly to the Headspace community and being able to, yeah, hear people's questions and have the direct 
interaction. You know, when you have a, an app that is putting out information, it's, it's sometimes hard when you don't have that direct feedback. Yeah. yeah. So I think doing the show, we really get to actually hear how it makes people's lives a, a better and more fuller experience. So I think that's my favorite part is to be able to connect with people on a deeper level outside of just leading them through a meditation. Yeah, because we've recorded almost 30 episodes at this point, which is, so we're talking about almost 100 questions. And I have to say, every single question, I can see all of us in the questions. So that's like, it really does speak to what you're saying about the community. Yeah. All right, Dora, now it's your turn to say me. <laughs> um, I think for me as a teacher, I grow more when I'm questioned. Um, and when I have to think deeply about certain things in my life that I sometimes forget I have a lot of experience in. So to be able to sit with simple questions of like, how do I know this is working? I'm like, oh, yeah. OK, like, how can I explain this if I had to explain it to a three year old? Like, how do you explain meditation in that way where it's so accessible or um, yeah, make it so it's not this thing that's scary and mythical, but like this is how it can apply to your life. So I appreciate the community, um, but also my own professional and personal growth that comes from answering some of those hard questions. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So now, as you all know, the show does not exist without listener questions. And we have a little microphone set up here. We don't want anyone to get shy. Um, but I do want to say that if someone doesn't walk down in here, you're going to risk me coming out into the audience. And I feel like we all can already <laughs> sense nobody wants that, right? I feel like, so who would like to break the ice and be our very first Dear Headspace Live question? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bravery, bravery right there. Hey, everyone. So the theme of loneliness has been a common theme in my life. Uh, I moved to a new city, LA, and I'm gradually building a, a community of friends and community here. So friends is an area of life where this uh, loneliness isn't there. However, loneliness shows up in romantic life. So I identify as gay and queer. I'm also single. And it also shows up a little in family life. Uh, my sister, brother-in-law, nieces, and parents live in another, live in another state. And specifically, my parents are first-generation genera immigrants and don't necessarily express emotions regularly. And so that can be uh, challenging sometimes. So my question for you, for both of you, um, do you have advice or a specific practice I can consider when loneliness starts to creep in from time to time? Mm. Okay, but before you answer, we have to just take a minute to say thank you. Thank you so much for breaking the ice and for, and for being vulnerable and bringing that to us. I can relate. I often feel lonely as well. And I think that's more of an intentional choice. There's a loneliness you choose when you're being more intentional with your friendships and relationships. And sometimes I just have to remind myself of my intention and, you know, what what's the journey that I'm on right now. And when I set intentions, I also recognize that that turns out to be a reflection of the people who then come into my surroundings. So in me being lonely and being picky with who I surround myself with, I've attracted and manifested so many more beautiful relationships. And the other thing was like, I had to leave my house. I love my home. And I just thought that those people would arrive at my front door. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to leave and get dressed and do all the things that sometimes it's like within my comfort zone. So I think, yeah, setting an intention, um, compassion has been really, really, really important for me on this journey as well. And maybe that's something I can offer you as well as just 
loving kindness for self, you know, may I feel at home wherever I am and whoever I'm around, because I think sometimes when loneliness takes over and dictates our actions, we can choose to be in certain settings that maybe we'll regret later. So really tending to that loneliness before you put yourself out there is important, I found for myself. But yeah, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I feel in this moment. I hope that's helpful. Do you want to add on to that, Rose? Yeah, I mean, I love what Dora's saying. And th- again, thank you for your vulnerable share. I know it really takes a lot of courage to be able to state how you feel. And I can absolutely relate to that. I moved to Portland a couple years ago. And I, it, growing up in LA my entire life, it was really challenging to go to a place where I needed a map to find where I was going. And I didn't have any friends and I didn't have a job. And it was really a hard, it was a hard time. So I, I know that feeling of not knowing where to go or where to turn. And I think that what Dora is saying is so important is to be able to set that intention and to really give yourself that space, that compassion. And one of the things that I really found was helpful for me was to also leave the house, <laughs> but to find things that I like to do in a group setting because we really do heal with community. You know, doing a meditation by yourself is different than doing a meditation in a group full of people. And so I think that the feeling, the desire for community is something that can really help nourish that void that you might feel sometimes. So I remember going to like a hip hop dance class and I'm not a dancer. So that was really, (laughs) that was really, I mean, we, it it was a little, it was out of my comfort zone because I don't like doing things I'm not good at. (laughs) So it, but it was really interesting to just meet. I started to make friends and meet people and, you know, just doing something out of the ordinary that you wouldn't think would be where you would find companionship, you know, because I think companionship is a big thing. I also had my, my Shih Tzu was, I just, he was my best friend for like two years because I didn't have any friends. And so I think there are other ways to really open yourself up to that. So I hope that that helps. Yeah. And just speaking to the LGBTQ part, I think it's important to look for people in your community. You know, it's like Sam, who's here, shout out to Sam. Sam always talks about meetups um, when we talk about loneliness and finding community. But I I know, you know, as a a member of the community as well, how important it is to find like-minded people. And it doesn't mean that you don't love all the the straights in the world. I love all of you straights. You're all, you're all in my heart. I, I mean it. But it does mean that sometimes they can't maybe see you in the same way. And so, like, you can, look, you can combine things like activities and your people. And I think that that's a helpful way to find community, too. I mean, whether you like it or not, I am now your friend. So <laughs> it sometimes veers into stalker. You're going to maybe want to just be a little careful. No one share his address with me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for your question. Now, I don't know if we just scared you off or made it more accessible. Wait, oh, next question's coming. Excellent. It's so fun hearing these answers. I feel like I benefited as well, so thank you. Um, Lately, a lot has been changing for me in life, just like outside of work. And then there are a lot of things that I am doing in work that are changing, like a lot of new big projects, huge projects. 
And I've found that like my response to all of that change is to turn into a control freak. <laughs> and, and there's sort of this like this feeling like, well, if everything is moving, I have to stabilize it with control, which first of all feels it feels so uncomfortable to have that reaction because I always think of myself as like very dynamic and like great with change and I love change. (laughs) Turns out that might not be the case. (laughs) So I wanted to know if there's any practices that, that you two recommend as far as like engaging with change and not trying to uh, turn into a monstrous control freak who like, <laughs> who like literally, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, yeah, I've turned into this person who like must obsessively clean my kitchen because that feels so controllable, you know? And it's like, and maybe that's a nice thing too, but like, I don't want to feel like I'm resisting change. How many people can relate to that in this room? I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the entire room. Uh, I can absolutely speak to this because I am the same exact way. I am, for me, I think growing up in an environment that I didn't have control over really created this desire for control. I think that the undercurrent of that experience is the uncertainty, right? The not knowing. You can be down with change all day long, But at the same time, it's still scary. It's still scary to go into a place where you don't really know what the outcome is going to be. You can't control how people react. You can't control other people's emotions. You can't control. You can't control. You can't control. Right. So I think one of the benefits of being able to practice mindfulness or presence is to really allow the space for that uncertainty to be there because underneath that resistance and you kept saying it and I kept watching your body you kept saying like I'm backpedaling and it's almost like you're walking to the edge of that cliff and you're ready to jump and then you decide oh wait hold on like wait I don't I'm not really that person right we have this desire to be very open to change and and to be able to adapt and as humans, we are so resilient, but at the same time, we have that fear. And that's okay. And I think the question we need to be asking is, why do you feel you're not okay with that resistance being there? Like, what is it about the resistance that you think, oh, I need to get rid of this resistance so that I can be more adaptable? But you are adaptable. Why can't you allow yourself to just be in uncertainty, right? And the same thing happens when we're at the precipice of fear, when there's something happening that's out of our control, we go into the same resistance, that backpedaling, like, oh, nope, I don't, that, that's, I don't want to go there. Like, da, 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 da. let's scale it back. So I, I think doing a present awareness practice where you just allow yourself that compassion, Dora was talking about this earlier with the loneliness, you know, to give yourself that space that you're not a machine, You can't do everything. You know, somehow we're in this culture where we think we have to perform at a certain level and it's clearly impossible because if it was possible, we wouldn't have the high levels of stress and anxiety and depression and all of the things. So really give yourself the the space and, you know, you you can take breaks. Just saying. (laughs) You You enjoy your clean kitchen until then. (laughs) 
I would also add to that, though, because it's one thing to intellectualize why change is good. And we know impermanence is everywhere and it's around us. But it's one thing to figure it out in your mind. But what is your body telling you? Because you can get your mind to that place of like, okay, I know this is good or it's beneficial. But then your body, like right now, my heart is racing and I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And I have to, you know, take my deep breaths or do something that can allow me to ground and to be here in this moment. So when you do feel that sense of, okay, the unknown is coming and there's fear and there's that resistance, what are the things that you can do on a bodily level? to take care of yourself because we could sit, you know, sometimes I sit with my mind in meditation and I'm like, I need to get outside. I need to drink water or tea or I need to stretch and move my body. And that's sometimes more helpful than it is to sit. So I think being able to take care of our bodies and our physical and whatever that may look like for you may be helpful as well, working with change and um, one other thing that I like to do, two other things, being out in nature. Nature is such a beautiful teacher of change as the cycles are changing, seasons are changing, things are decaying and growing, restoring and renewing. There's so much that we can learn by just sitting and being a student of nature. So if you like to do that, highly recommend. Um, and then watching the breath. So if you do decide to sit, the breath is like such a beautiful teacher as well of impermanence as we breathe every inhale and every exhale is going to be different. And I find that being able to be at ease with my breath has allowed me to then be at ease with the changing nature of life. So Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, everybody. We did get one question that was like um, from somebody who wasn't able to be here. So I'm going to take, take a moment to read this one out. Uh, this, my immigrant parents come from a collectivist culture in which respecting elders is very important. And although that's beautiful, it can be taken to an extreme sometimes. Often when I assert my needs, I'm told I'm being too American, too sensitive, or both. Therapists and coaches have advised me to set boundaries, um, but that presents its own challenges. I can set a boundary over and over again and not get far. My mother will try to get me back away from the boundary by nagging me, guilt tripping me, or just pretending like I didn't set that boundary at all. <laughs> it's not familiar at all. I feel like I, did I write this question? Maybe that's why they're not here. I don't know. Love Dora's mother. Um, and if she does adhere to the boundary, it won't be consistent. How do you mindfully navigate this sort of situation, and how do you? do it without developing, and this is the crux of the question, hatred and resentment towards the person who can't seem to respect your boundaries. Ooh, wow. That's a big, I mean, that's a big, big question. Yeah. I'll be honest. I sent my mom Nadra Tawab's book on boundaries and said, don't talk to me until you read the book. <laughs> and that was like a year ago. So um, How'd that go, by the way? Great. Now she calls me. She's like, I know we're working on boundaries, but I just wanted to share that. <laughs> You know, this might be like passing your emotional boundaries, but I think I'm gonna do it anyway. And yeah, break the boundary baby you steps, just baby steps. Um, but you know, I had to learn how to cultivate compassion for my parents because, I mean, I could never be an immigrant that came to Canada that had to raise three kids on your own, also going to school, three jobs, like. I could never do any of that. And when I was younger, I didn't really take that into account of like, this is where she's coming from. And yeah. so that's been a constant practice for me of humanizing my parents and in that also having to reparent myself because there's so much on like 
a snap, I can bring up so much resentment and anger towards my parents for how I thought they should have shown up when in reality they were doing the best that they can. So that's always been a practice for me of just like, oh man, my mom was really trying. If it was me, I would have left my brother and my sister and just like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm out. But yeah, there's just, my parents are so resilient and I'm resilient because of that. And for so long, I just couldn't understand why they they were the way that they were. But like the collectivism uh, comment that they made, like my mom grew up in a home where there was one bedroom and all seven of her siblings slept in one bed together. So like there's no boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. just very enmeshed, right? What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And again, having that understanding of like, this is where you're coming from. And I have so much... Uh, care and like love and tenderness for you could never be me. <laughs> I'd never yeah. sleep in a room with my brother, but um, it's like I, I understand you. I can see you now as the human being that you are beyond this role of being a parent and the expectations that can come with that. So yeah. buy the book on Amazon, send it to your parents, but also cultivating like compassion and forgiveness. And I think reparenting myself as well of like tending to my inner child, you know. Um, I didn't understand it back then, but now I understand it as an adult and reminding my inner child, my background on my phone is me as a child of like, we're safe now, you know, or um, you no longer need to live by those rules. You can make your own rules and getting yourself back into the present moment. But yeah, I really appreciate that question because yeah. it sounded like I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's such a good question, like you've said. And I think the compassion piece that you're bringing out is really important. But I do think there's another side to the question, which is that last part I kind of like indicated about the hatred. And I do think, you know, coming from a parent, and we've talked about this um, on the podcast a lot, you know, I had uh, alcoholic parents and, and I set boundaries and they were not it it didn't matter that I was setting the boundaries. And I do think there is a piece that sometimes you have to evaluate, can this person get to where I need them to be in order to be in my life in a way that won't be harmful to me? And I think that it is important that sometimes you have to recognize when the boundary is, I am removing myself from a relationship where you might harm me. And I I, I think that I just say that for our person who who wrote in to to understand that that is a fine line. Like you can start with compassion and it may not be enough to protect yourself. And I think it's important to really keep that in mind that sometimes you you have to make hard choices. Compassion, I think sometimes we only hear about like the kind and tender side of compassion. There's the yin and the yang. The other side of compassion is fierce. It calls us into action. So it's like that mama bear protecting the cub, which is where we can start to create that distance or express our needs or be able to do things to protect ourselves. So I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding that compassion is like rainbows, butterflies, unicorns, and love and light when it's really fierce and protecting as well. It can call us into action and to be warriors almost. So I think when we're able to distinguish the two and understand what our needs are, then based on that, we can make the informed decision to either create space or call people in, go to therapy, whatever it is that you're needing. Self-compassion. In that moment. You know, like, because it's, you can, like your picture of yourself as a child, like you got to take care of your little person too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's, um, who's next? Who's our next brave? Oh. I 
really been needing this advice, so I'm very happy to have the opportunity to ask the question. It, it's sort of, I think, going to build off of where you've just started. But I just spent time with my in-laws, and it really wasn't the best of trips. Um, I've been in their life for 20 years, just to give you a, a sense of it. And we're honestly a lot of times just on completely separate pages. But this was a really bad trip. Um, sort of got into it with both of them separately. And to give you a little bit of background, you know, they both grew up with parents who, like, didn't really show up for them. Not a lot of love or attention, put their own needs very much first. And that's, those are the households they grew up in. And it feels like they're sort of constantly seeking validation. And it feels like they don't understand sort of what is necessary to have a healthy relationship because... They were never taught. And I'm very type A, communicate everything I feel. I'm super open, honest, and blunt, and like have a very communicative family. So basically, we're on complete opposite sides of the spectrum. And so my question is sort of like, how can you approach building healthy relationships with people who have completely different communication styles than you, or actually even like lack communication skills and moreover with people who it feels like don't really want to put in the effort to like grow or change mm. oh man what if we were like well you don't yeah I was literally <laughs> I was just gonna say I, I was just gonna say just you yeah you don't they just don't um, look I can relate a hundred and ten percent same situation, 20-year relationship. You, the key of what you said is that the expectation. Expectation is premeditated resentment. And, you know, sometimes you, you do have to set boundaries and you do have to really practice self-compassion and compassion for the other because, look, the desire is coming from a very noble place you want, you desire to have a relationship with these people and because you have such a great relationship with your family and it's a different dynamic. So you have that desire. You want to be able to communicate and have the conversations be of substance, right? You want to be able to have that because you love your partner, of course. And if you love him, you love all of him. And it means his family comes along. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, damn, like, this is your only flaw, bro. It's like your family, <laughs> you know? And, uh, it, it, but it's, but it's one of those things. It's, it's, they're, they are your teachers, right? And look, I can sit here and say, use it as an opportunity to practice mindfulness and be present, but it's, it's messed up. Like it is very taxing very anxiety producing. It creates all kinds of fun narratives in your brain. I wish that I could sit down with certain members and have just an open conversation, but I also know that it's not going to be received the way that I want it to be received, and that's okay, right? That's okay. You have to just be responsible for yourself. And going back to what I said about the expectation is just premeditated resentment. And I have so much resentment, right? But at that point, that's your work, right? So you have to remember that. In a way, it's the whole idea of giving your uh, quote unquote power away, 
right? It's like you have to stay in your experience. You have to be able to give yourself space. And when that anxiety comes up, give it space, let it be there. And just remember the why. You love your partner. And when you love somebody, you accept all of who they are. And this is part of who they are. And, you know, they're your teachers. But Rosie, though, I also think invite your partner into this conversation. Like my wife's family is, they're not bad people. And I have to say that in case they're listening. I love you all. Um, (laughs) But they're just completely different than the way I grew up. Like I grew up in chaos and yelling and screaming. And when you go there, it's just this void of nothingness. And I find myself just (laughs) laying on the floor, like watching, like, I love Lucy, like, am I alive? (laughs) And the first time I went there, I ended up crying in the driveway and I didn't even understand what was happening. And so after like Mary and I like did a whole like pregame and we set up all these things. So I was like, I, I'll go to Target in the middle of the first day. I will do this. So like, if I feel myself, errands. I feel like, I feel errands. like errands, yes. right? If errands I feel are your friends. things start to come on, I take care of myself. I Maybe I'll go take a walk or I'll go, you know what? Maybe I need to take your trash out. And then I'm out doing the trash for seven hours. I can power wash your, you have a power washer? <laughs> like, what, you know, like, what can you, like, but bringing your partner in because it's a support. And now she knows to check in on me. Because that first trip, like when I was crying in the car, she was just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and, and, but then it's like, now she's always like, you good? You good? Like you're a team. So bring that in together too. Yeah. And check out Sam's mindful communication course in the app. Shout out. Shout out to Sam Snowden. Shout out, Sam. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, need a deep cleansing breath. Do we have, do we have any more questions? Who wants, oh, oh, no. oh yay! <laughs> Hello, dear Headspace. Thank you for this. This is lovely. Um, So I've lived in the US for nearly 10 years. I moved from Idaho. No, I didn't. I moved from England. (laughs) And um, I guess part of that is, well, something that comes and goes is homesickness and been experiencing quite a bit quite recently. And uh, something in therapy I've been exploring is this idea of home and belonging and what that is. But I wanted to kind of unpack a bit with you and get your response from like a, a mindfulness perspective, this idea of nostalgia what was where you came from but also where you are and what is now and like that balance between hope sinkness and nostalgia and the things you might miss but also making the most of here and now making sure you're not missing what's really special and brilliant and things like this so would love to hear any thoughts you have thank you that's a great question yeah i I have had those feelings of homesickness, um, not at that level, I don't think, but I, I did a, a big tour uh, back in 2017 where we went to 38 cities in 38 weeks and I only came home four times. And I never, I, I never understood the homesick feeling until I was on the road and I couldn't come home. And, and, and this thing started to happen where uh, I started to feel the lack, right? And I think 
it's really interesting to consider where you are in your state, right? You said that you talk to therapists. So obviously, you're you're actively proactive in your your transformation or evolution in in this area. And I think I'd just be curious to ask you when you're saying the nostalgia comes in or the homesickness, like, do you feel like this is a this is keeping you from something somehow? No, not really. It's just when well, nostalgia is a beautiful thing in some ways, right? Yeah. It's like the memory you have of beautiful things. Yes. Um, but places change and countries change and, mm. you know, the UK is no different, unfortunately. But um, so it's kind of remembering that, that nostalgia can be a special thing to recall yeah. and be grateful for, I yeah. think. Um, but the state in time doesn't have to provide a solid base on which to base decisions in the future. So it's a balance kind of to yeah. be aware of, but not wrestle with. So I love that you ask thing. the question and you kind of give your own answer yeah. to the right. question. I'm, I'm talking myself out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I think that's the importance of questions yeah. because sometimes the answer is right there. We're just simply the guides, right? You summon your own wisdom, but we can help you remember what's present. I think something you mentioned as well, lack, I think about scarcity and abundance. So if you can tap into gratitude and appreciation for where you are and where you've been and where you're going, that can help you to feel more at home again, wherever you are and find a sense of belonging. You know, our, our good pal Kesanga said something in a previous episode. Where is he? What? What? Um, <laughs> Not you turning around. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry you don't have a microphone to say this way better than I say it. But he said a whole thing about how he loves thinking about the past. And he said that he allows himself a period of time to just like dive in deep and like go back into the past and be like, yeah. And then he's like, and done. And like, and I think that's a really interesting um, thing that I had never thought of, of like, rather than like the judgment of like, I shouldn't be doing this. It's like a clear delineated beginning, middle and end. And now I'm present. And I thought that was a really great um, tip and trick. Can we call it that, Kisanga? Practice. Oh, all right, fine. <laughs> Tips and tricks, practices, <laughs> meditation words. Okay. <laughs> Who brought Robin? All right. <laughs> But anyway, it's a lovely practice that you could perhaps add. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we got a question from the Zoom. Um, Zoom. Which, I mean, look, look at us. Like, we've got, got a recording, got a Zoom. Like, stuff is happening. Okay. All right. Ooh. I'm a new parent. And I just, like, threw up inside as a parent. <laughs> Okay, I'm a new parent, and I have been really struggling to understand who I am now. I only have room for parenting, housekeeping, and work. Repeat. There is very little space for the me that I used to be. I know it's time to be someone else, but I'm really struggling and have had a tough time. I would love to hear your perspective on anything that could provide some guidance. Dun, dun, dun. What a cliffhanger to end on. This special live episode was such a fun event. We ended up running over and over and over. And guess what? We decided to make it a two-parter. Thanks to all those brilliant folks at Headspace HQ who helped make this episode possible, especially Sarah Barry and Lourdes Rodriguez. Join us next week for part two of this special live show. I'm telling you, it is fabulous and you do not want to miss it. And fear not. This is still Dear Headspace, so we want to leave you with the gentle sounds of a lagoon at night so you can sit with what you've just heard before transitioning into the next thing in your day. 
In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, and be kind to each other. Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohn, Baron Farmer, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, Eve Lewis Prieto, and Rosie Acosta. Post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Mergia. And a special thanks to Colleen Lutz.